Okay, I do want to thank you for joining me today here on Bible Studies with Russ. We are picking up today in Judges chapter 9 and in verse 46. It's been about a week or two since we've had our last study. Uh, like everyone else, uh, things come up and and uh, just couldn't get it to it last week. And so we're going to pick up in Judges chapter 9. In verse 46, and there were four stages. You remember, there are four stages we mentioned last time regarding uh, Judges chapter 9. You may remember we mentioned first uh, judgment on Gaul in Judges 9, 30 through 41. We mentioned next the judgment on Shechem in Judges 9, 42 through 45. We'll begin with our third one today, destruction of the temple fortress, Judges 9, 46 through 49. And then the fourth, the attack on Thebes, Judges 9, 50 through 55. So let's begin by looking at Judges chapter 9. We'll read verses 46 through 49, then we'll make some uh, comments on this. So Judges chapter 9 and verse 46 through 49, reading from the New King James says, Now when all the men of the tower of Shechem had heard that, they entered the stronghold of the temple of the god of birth, and, or Bereth, and, Remember, I don't pronounce these names well. Now, that word, uh, bereth, or uh, birth, maybe, is the meaning there means covenant. Uh, this is this is the name of, of uh, a foreign deity worshipped in Shechem. So, birth, or bereth, however you pronounce that, uh, according to Strong's, that, that name literally means covenant. And so, they entered the stronghold of the temple of the god of uh, birth, and it was told Abimelech that all the men of the tower Shechem were gathered together. Uh, then Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman, it's pronounced uh, Salmon, uh, some translations, uh, sometimes it's spelled with an S, sometimes it's spelled with a Z. It, it means shady, so a shady mount. Um, so this is a wooded hill, again, according to Strong's, a wooded hill in Samaria near Shechem. He and all the people who were with him, and Abimelech took an, took an axe in his hand and cut down a, a bough from the trees, and he took it and laid it on his shoulder. And then he said to the people who were with him, What you have seen me do, make haste and do as I have done. So each of the people likewise cut down his own bough and followed Abimelech, uh, put them against the stronghold, and set the stronghold on fire above them. So all the people of the tower of Shechem died, about a thousand men and women. Now keep in mind, Abimelech is not a good guy. He's not who we are rooting for. Uh, remember, uh, he was the son of Gideon by concubine. He was the one who had the other, with the exception of one, the other 70 brothers killed. So we're not exactly rooting for Abimelech. He is taking out some evil people. As we'll talk about later, uh, we will be reminded that God uses all kinds of people in various ways to accomplish his means. And we find here evil, taking out evil, and we'll know as we continue on that Bimelech will, quote-unquote, get his. But in verses 46 through 49, we find a number of the leaders of Shechem happened to be in the tower fortress, uh, part of the city uh, when Abimelech, uh, they have to be in the tower part of the fortress, excuse me, the tower fortress part of the city, when Abimelech's uh, attack began. They took refuge in the inner chamber of the temple of Elberth, this appears to be in, some say this appears to be in a subterranean chamber. Abimelech took his men to the nearby woods and cut large branches. These were set to fire over the entrance to the inner chamber. 
The thousand men and women who had taken refuge, they were either burned alive inside, or some say, or they would be forced by the smoke to come out and face the swords of Amalek's men. Uh, it would appear from here um, that they would die at the tower. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't mention anything about them coming out. Uh, usually such things are mentioned. Uh, again, uh, I'll try to make it a distinction when some commentators and others make such statements um, simply by saying some say this. Uh, but either way, uh, they were all killed, about a thousand men and women, verse 49. Now, verse 50 through 55, so 46 through 49, what we just read, was the destruction of the temple fortress. Uh, that was one uh, of the four stages and or that was a third of the four stages. Next is the fourth and final stage uh, that unfolds here, and that's 50 through 55 of Judges chapter 9, the attack on Thebes. The attack on Thebes, the Judges chapter 9, 50 through 55. <clears throat> then Abimelech went to Thebes, and he encamped against Thebes and took it. Now, Thebes literally means... Um, Conspicuous, conspicuous, a tower, excuse me, a town near Shechem. And so literally means conspicuous. So you went to a town that means conspicuous. It sounds like a shady place, doesn't it? Uh, where'd you go? Oh, we went to, over to that uh, town, you know, nicknamed after, named after the word conspicuous. Uh, sounds like a good place. It's kind of like people would go to a restaurant or to a club, which clubs are rarely known to be good places. Uh, and so, anyway, this is where he went to. He went to Thebes, and he camped against Thebes and took it, verse 50. Uh, 51, but there was a strong tower in the city, and all the men and women, all the people of the city, fled there and shut themselves in. Then they went up to the top of the tower. So Abimelech, verse 52, came as far as the tower and fought against it, and he drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. But a certain woman, it's interesting that it makes a point here that it doesn't matter who it was, but this certain woman dropped an upper millstone on the Bimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly. You would think crushed his skull meant he was dead, but obviously he was severely wounded, uh, on, about to die. Uh, but look what happens in verse 54. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me. Lest men save me, a, a woman killed him. So his, young, so his young man thrust him through, and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man to his place. Okay, so that's the attack on Thebes. So Abimelech marched to marched near Thebes, about six miles north of Shechem. Uh, this city also was in rebellion against him. He easily captured the city itself, but the fortress tower in the center of the city was a different matter. Abimelech attempted to burn the entrance to the, of the tower. But a certain woman, as we mentioned before, uh, threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head, mortally wounding him. Uh, this upper millstone. Now, I know what a millstone is. Um, so perhaps a part of a millstone. It says upper, looking at Strong's, the upper and the millstone. Uh, the upper millstone seems like it was part of a millstone, not an entire millstone. Uh, I mean, a millstone would be massive. Mass. I mean, they're used for grinding grain. And so it makes sense that it was part of a millstone that she had picked up. So the upper millstone, uh, a slice of it, according to Strong's, uh, that she used, and she threw it on Ben, like I said, and it, and it caused severe damage, obviously. Um, and then he says here, 
that Abimelech uh, called for his armor bearer to thrust him through, lest it be reported that a woman killed him. Uh, the armor bearer obeyed. Uh, thus ended the brief and, and not say turbulent career of Israel's first king. When Abimelech's supporters saw that he was dead, each departed for his home. And that ends that fourth stage of that battle there in verse 50 through 55. Now, what's interesting, you know, I mean, all this obviously is interesting, but notice what is said here next in verse uh, 56 and 57. You have a very brief uh, type of maybe explanation of this. Uh, again, reading from the New King James says here in verse 56 and 57 of Judges chapter 9, Thus God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father by killing his 70 brothers. And all the evil of the men of Shechem God returned on their own heads, and on them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbabel. The son of Jerubbabel. Uh, again, remember Jerubbabel is again a reference to uh, to Gideon. And so we find in verse 56 and 57, what the Bible is telling us is that God used a wicked man to destroy wicked people. And then when it came to the end of God's, uh, you know, when God accomplished his will, what happened? Abimelech then is killed. Um, so the account of Abimelech ends with a Solomon appraisal, must say a Solomon appraisal, appraisal of what has just been, uh, been, been told. In the conflict between Abimelech and Shechem, God was at work. Uh, he was uh, being punished as Abimelech for the murder of his brothers. The Shechemites were being punished for all their wickedness. There in verse uh, 57, and all the evil men of Shechem, God returned on their own heads. And all the evil of the men of Shechem, not all the evil men, but all, of, all the evil of the men. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, obviously, they were evil men, but their evil deeds were paid upon them, right? There in verse 57, uh, which this would include idolatry, violence, and support of the ruthless and uh, dangerous man Abimelech. The curse of Jotham, the youngest son of Gideon, came upon the lot of these individuals, as we see there in verses 56 and 57. Now, excuse me, the end of verse 57. Um Curse can also mean vilification or a or a, a uh, the idea of being accursed. And so basically what idea we find that there is is that Jotham uh, that God brought vengeance upon Abimelech for Jotham, uh, the son of Gideon, the son of Jerubbabel. Now in chapter 10, in chapter 10. Uh, in verses 1 and 2, you begin next, uh, the next judge that would, that would arise. And if you look at Judges chapter 10, uh, there are two uh, minor judges that followed Abimelech. Uh, they're only minor in the sense that, they, uh, that the historian has not seen fit to supply any more the, than the barest of information about them. There's not much about them here that's mentioned in verses uh, one and one and two and three through five regarding Tola and uh, Jar or J Air um, uh, here in verses one through five. Um, there is no catastrophic, so to speak, oppression, no desperate cry, no divine call of a deliverer. At the same time, no rest is mentioned. 
These were not days of divisive battles, or to me, decisive battles, but of constant turmoil. Um, the brief notes about Tola and, and Jair or Jar suggest that the glory days of Ehud, Deborah, and Gideon were part of Israel's past. Okay, so let's look next at the uh, time of judgment of Tola in verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 says, After Abimelech there arose to save Israel, that's important to realize, there arose to save Israel, uh, which means tells us that this was a man uh, who was trying to help them do what was right, a man trying to uh, bring about uh, good there in verses 1 and 2. And so as we look here at uh, verses 1 and 2, keep in mind that Tola was, you know, there's not a lot of detail given, but it seems that he was trying to do what was right and trying to, might say, uh, right the ship in many ways. So after Abimelech there rose to save Israel, Tola, the son of Pua. Uh, now Tola, according to Strong's, the name means worm, an unfortunate, <laughs> an unfortunate meaning. Um, uh, a man of Issachar, the son of, uh, he was a, a man of Issachar, son of Pua, and judge of Israel after Abimelech. Now, regarding Pua, um, there is literally nothing but that said pretty much in reverse about him and Strong. So he was the father of Tola. That's really all that it's there. Pua means splendid. And so you have the worm named after his son, after, after his father, Pua, which means splendid. Um, how do you go from, from splendid to a name that means worm? I don't know. But anyway... So after Abimelech there rose to save Israel, Tola the son of Pua, the son of uh, Dodo. Um, I don't know if that's how you actually pronounce that. Um, but so I'm going with his name means his beloved. So the grandfather of Tola, Dodo, his name means beloved. Um, Let's see. Next, he says here he was a man of Issachar, and he dwelt in Shamer in the mountains of Ephraim. He judged Israel. This is Tola. He judged Israel 23 years, and he died and was buried in Shamer. Um, Shamer uh, is a, a town in Ephraim with a judge. Uh, where it's a, Somebody mentions here that it was just, Strong says, it's a town in Ephraim with a judge of Tola lived and was buried. Um Strong also says a town in the mountain district of Judah. Uh, Shamer means a point or a th or thorn. Um, so Tola reigned for 23 years. He rose to save Israel. He was a son of Pua, the grandson of Dodo. Uh, and he reigned, he judged for 23 years, and he died and was buried in Shamer. That's all you got. That's it. Uh, again, um, Perhaps that's why sometimes he's referenced as a quote-unquote minor judge. Not, not, not a lot is said uh, about him. Okay, verses 3 through 5, you have Jar or Jair. Uh, and verse 3, we're going to read again, read through 3 through 5. After him arose Jair, a, a Gileadite, means he was from Gilead, Gileadite, uh, and he judged Israel 22 years. Now, Jair uh, means uh, he enlightens. That's the meaning of his name. He enlightens. Um, 
Uh, Strong says he was a Gileadite, a judge of Israel for 22 years uh, during the time of the judges, father of 30 sons. That's all we, that's all Strong says about him. Um, he had, verse 4 says he had 30 sons. He rode on 30 donkeys. They also had 30 towns, which are called Habith of Jr. to this day, which are in the land of Gilead. Habith uh, means uh, villages of Jar or Jr. Some translations actually say that instead of this Habith. Uh, and Jar died and was buried in Canaan. Canaan means raised, the place in Gilead where the judge Jar was buried. That's all it said about it. Um, and so you have you have him, you have Jer uh, rising up, reigning for 22 years. He had 30 sons, which some commentators say that is a, a way to indicate he had multiple wives. Probably so. Would make sense. I don't know anyone who's had 30 sons um, by one wife. Um, and so a good, uh, good possibility concerning that. They had 30 donkeys. They also were over 30 different towns. And so it would make sense. Each one had their own town to look over. Uh, and which are called the Habath Jar, which again means villages of Jar. And he died and was buried in Cayman. So there are two quote unquote minor judges there in verses one through five of Judges chapter 10. Um, it's interesting that he had the foresight to, when you have these 30 sons, to use them to do what? To look out for the cities. Um, some say that him having multiple wives was a sign of a further decline. Um, I do not know. Um, I mean, a lot of people in the Bible had multiple wives. Uh, and so how many wives do you have? I do not know. Um, I mean, it's not uncommon in the Old Testament to have multiple wives. Obviously, we are not to do that today. As, we, as Paul tells us, each man is to have his own wife, singular uh, that is, you know, and with the teaching of uh, regarding fornication and things such as that. Um, but certain things were um, winked at or permitted under the old law, uh, but were done away with when the new law came into effect. Nonetheless, uh, it seems he had multiple wives, he had 30, 30 sons. They rode on their 30 donkeys and they also had 30 towns, and which were probably these men were over. Uh Seems fitting. It doesn't say that, but I think it seems pretty well implied that was the idea. Uh, could be wrong, but anyway. Okay, in verses six, and I'm gonna—I always try to scroll down past the heading because these headings, like uh, first numbers and verse breaks, are added by man. But the one I have here, somebody says Israel oppressed again, um, which is not really a wrong uh, thing to say. Um, one of the other heading I have here regarding verses 6 through 16 of Judges chapter 10 is, is Israel, tragic apostasy. Um, Judges 10, 6 through 16. So let's read through this, and we may read through all of it. We may stop here and there and make some comments. But let's go and begin here, Judges chapter 10, verses 6 uh, through verse 16. Then the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served the Baals and Astros, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the people of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines, and they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. Verse 6. And so verse 6, right off the bat, tells you where they are. They are serving false gods. Baal was a masculine, uh, viewed as a, a, a uh, uh, 
a male divinity, that's what she's trying to say there, while Asteros are viewed as false goddesses. And so you have the, the, the male and the female there. And then he also goes on to mention the gods of Syria, plural, the gods of Sidon, plural, the gods of Moab, plural, the gods of the people of Ammon, plural, and the gods of the Philistines, plural. And they forsook the Lord, singular, and did not serve him. This tells you, I say all that to say, put emphasis on the gods, plural. These people were obviously and clearly worshiping idols, false gods, which they themselves have to create. Uh, I believe it's Isaiah, if memory serves me correctly, that talks about those who create their gods and how they create, you know, with part of the wood they create, uh, you know, they, they cook with, uh, they, they, they do different things with, and then what's left over, they make their false god. Um, a good reminder for us there. And if I can remember that verse, um, um, I don't remember exactly how it's worded, but I'll have to look it up later. Um, but the idea there is again, they make their false gods, their false gods exist because they create them. Um, and you find that they would sacrifice to them, uh, their children, which we'll talk about later. Actually, we get into Judges chapter 11. There's some discussion on the, the vow that is made there. And we'll talk about what uh, actually takes place. Keeping in mind, under the law of Moses, uh, human sacrifice was sinful. So just keep that in mind. We'll, we'll talk more about that in Judges chapter 11 when we get there next time. We're not going to as we have about seven minutes today. Um, okay, so they are they are they have forsook the Lord and did not serve him, verse 6. That's how it ends that section there in verse 6. Verse 7 says, and then we so we see what happens, what they're doing in verse 6, and then we see God's response, uh, how it affects him in verse 7. And what does it say? So the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. Why? Because they're going after false gods. God does not get angry, does not get upset without cause. He doesn't get uh, angry without cause. He doesn't punish without cause. Why is he is anger hot against Israel? Because we do what we just read there in verse 6. And in conclusion, they forsook the Lord. That is, they, they gave up on God. They walked away from him, and they did not serve him. They did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, verse 7. Uh, and he sold them into uh, the hands of the Philistines, into the hands of the people of Ammon. Now, uh, of course, we know the, the, the Philistines being those um, who are the inhabited of Felicia, the sense of, of um, Miseram, who immigrated from Captor, this, this, or Crete, possibly, according to Strong's, to the western seacoast of Canaan. The word Philistine literally means immigrant or immigrants, and to the hands of the people of Ammon, uh, people dwelling people dwelling in Transjordan descended from Lot through Ben-Ami. Amorites, or uh, Ammon, means tribal. And so these are who they who God has delivered. God has delivered them into these individual, the hands of these individuals. Verse 8, from that year they harassed, again reading from the New King James, they harassed and oppressed the children of Israel. 
the King James, I don't remember if it says it any differently here in verse 8, uh, at, at that year they vexed and oppressed the children of Israel. Um, same idea, right? They, they were doing what? They were treating them poorly. Uh, they harassed and oppressed the children of Israel for, for 18 years there in verse 8. All the children of Israel who were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of the Amorites and in Gilead. Verse 9, moreover, the people of Ammon crossed over the Jordan to fight against Judah, against Benjamin, and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. Verse 9. Uh, verse 10, the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have both forsaken our God and served the Baals. There's Finally is the confession. We have what? We have sinned. We have sinned. What have they done? They say in verse 10, because we have forsaken our God, you, and served the Baals. We have served what? False gods. We have served those things which are not God. We have served those things which cannot do anything for us at all. Um, you know, the Lord tells us also here in the Old Testament, um, about how when people create their false gods, they have to move them from place to place. Uh, you know, they have to literally pick them up, their idols, and move them. Uh, they have no, they have no voice. They have no no legs which they can move. They have no breath. They're you know, if your false god's going to move, you're going to have to move it. Uh, let's see here. I wanted to, uh, and I think about these things after we get going sometimes. Um, Jeremiah 10, verse, um, that's not what I'm looking for. Okay. Anyway, we'll look, I'll look up those verses perhaps for next time. So we get to verse 10. They admit their error. They admit what they have done wrong. They have forsaken God. Now, before we get into, we're going to just stop here because we only have just a few minutes. And when we come back next time, we're going to look at verses 11 and following. And notice the Lord's response. The Lord said to the children of Israel, did I not deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the people of Ammon and from the Philistines? He comes back and he responds before he does anything. So let's, let's go and stop there. I do thank you for being here with me today. Hope you enjoyed this Bible study. And hope you'll join me again next time when we pick up in Judges chapter 10 and looking at verse 11. So thank you for your, for your time studying with me and hope to see you again next time.